Good morning, indeed. The blessings of the Lord are yea and amen. I had a friend, and this has been said to me more than once. Uh, she said, Sister Danae, I'm loving the podcast, the recordings in the morning, the devotions in the morning. But I have to confess, you talk so gently that I fall back to sleep. <laughs> and I greatly enjoy that. <laughs> this was in particular a young mom. And I truly, I truly count it as a compliment. Um, I personally love a gentle wake up and I don't like a lot of exuberance in the mornings. I don't like it for myself. I don't like it from anybody entering my house or room. Let's just all calm down. Let's just all be quiet. We need a few cups of coffee. We just need the lights down low. And uh, so that's literally the environment I am talking to you from. I'm sitting in my living room looking at my front door. Just calm and peaceful, having a nice time with the Lord and with you. If you go back to sleep, I count it a compliment. That's not an insult. My favorite podcasters and uh, documentaries are ones that have such a gentle voice that they put me back to sleep. I love those humans. I... I like, I subscribe, I do all the things that they ask me to do. (laughs) And I just love being that for you if I put you back to sleep. If you dislike it, I apologize. But if it's peaceful to you, I have scored. I have scored. So today we are on episode number seven of the Jesus series. And this is the story of Jesus meeting the woman at the well. Now I will tell you, I've already read this thoroughly before I went to sleep last night. When I woke up this morning, I've read this about three times and I end up in tears every single time. Now I don't know that now that it's coming out of my mouth if I'm going to end up weepy, but we'll just see. This is a very, very dear, emotionally impacting story to me. The The Bible says, he that wins souls is wise. It takes wisdom to win someone to your way of thinking. And this applies to more than just a disciple of Christ trying to win a soul to Christ. This applies to a parent with their children. This applies spouse to spouse. This applies saint to saint. If you're going to win souls, you've got to approach 
people with wisdom. Everyone comes with different baggage and different pain, and what's good for the goose is not good for the gander in this situation. This winning a soul is not a cookie cutter. I won the soul this way, and therefore that's how all souls are won. There is wisdom that is required. God's direction is required for each individual one. And this story of Jesus very purposefully winning this woman is just, oh, my word, it goes to my soul. So all four Gospels tell about Jesus traveling back to Galilee. That's in Matthew 4, verse 12, Mark 1, 14, Luke 4, 14, and John 4. And John is the only one who goes into detail about this woman at the well. John 4, verse 3, says, He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And verse 4, And he must needs go through Samaria. Just that phrase. He must needs go through Samaria. (laughs) Oh no, it started already. Oh, goodness. Oh, the craving to love the unlovable, the craving to break down barriers that society has built. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. And he had this craving to go through Samaria. Now, when you look at a map, you have Galilee at the top. It's it's in a it's in a straight line from top to bottom. You've got Galilee, you've got Samaria, and you've got Judea. And then running alongside this this top to bottom, he, now he's leaving Judea going to Galilee. So he's going from south to north. And running along this line is the Jordan River. And in general, the way pious Jews would get to Galilee from Judea is that they would go East, they would cross the Jordan River, enter the region of Piera, and then travel north, get past Samaria, and recross the Jordan River, and be back in Galilee. That's how staunchly they avoided Samaria. And of course, the Samaritans knew that. When you think about trade, this, this affected the Samaritans in every way that this is how pious or religious Jews dealt with them. 
And so, one of the questions that you need to know is why? What's the big deal about Samaria? So uh, around 722 BC, we're talking about the Old Testament now, and, and this is actually recorded in Second Kings, both in um, chapters 15 and 18. But in around 733 or 722 BC, when the Assyrians conquered Israel, they took the northern ten tribes away into captivity. But they did leave some of the Strag, they left some stragglers whenever other countries would come in, other nations would come in and conquer a nation. They would take the, the, the nobles away, the rich people away. They would take the smart people away. Like, you know, if you know the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were taken because they were, they were smart and, um, they were wealthy. So they were taken away into captivity, but some people were left behind. And the other thing they would do, they they would leave the poorer people behind, the people that they felt like had nothing to offer them and their nation where they were at. And then they would bring in people from Gentiles, you know, they would bring from other areas to settle in that region that was now left fairly vacant to try to influence those that they had left behind. And so eventually those Gentiles with their pagan ways, their gods that they worshiped, their religions, they intermarried with the Jews who had been left behind. So over the generations, those people were called the Samaritans and they developed their own religion that was partly based on those pagan ideas that that were brought in and they intermarried with. And it was also partly Judaism. So this is the area that people would go to such an extent to avoid that they would cross a river and travel several hours and then cross back over the river to get into Galilee. But Jesus must needs go through Samaria. So in John chapter 4, we continue the story in verse 5. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, being wearied with his journey, so he is tired from walking. If and when you ever get to go to Israel, one of the things you're going to learn right away is it's very hilly. There are a lot of ups and downs as you walk through the day on your tour. A lot of stone now, you'll be walking in mostly paved areas, but if you go, you, you'll see right away. This is not, this is not an easy place to, to go the distance. And Jesus was wearied with his journey and he sat on a well. That's why he sat there. And it was about the sixth hour. So this means it was about noon, which is the hottest part of the day. 
yesterday, uh, Madison and I have been running together two or three times a week. And, um, we had planned to run in the afternoon and he called and asked if I was ready to run. I looked at, I was driving myself. I looked at the temperature of the, uh, on the, um, car display and I said, it is 91 degrees. There's absolutely no way I'm running in 91 degrees. <laughs> like we can do this this evening. We'll do the morning. We'll do the evening. We're not doing it right here in the middle in the hottest part of the day. So it was the hardest part of the day. And verse seven, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. (laughs) Here Jesus was in a wearied, tired state, sitting down, but here his mission came. And we are looking at this series and studying Christ because we are purposefully trying to be like Christ. And let me remind you that when God sets a mission in your path, it might not be the most convenient time for you. It might not be the day you are the most, uh, rested and studied up and raring to go. So Jesus must needs go to Samaria. He's sitting on this well tired and here she comes. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. Verse eight, for his disciples had gone into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou being a Jew asks drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now there's a couple things I, I need to point out here. One is that without conversation, just by looking at him, Jesus looked Jewish. Now we're not talking about much of a difference, if at all, with the traditional religious Jews and the Samaritans in skin color and hair texture. And and as far as their physical person goes, there, there wasn't a strong difference. So that tells me that Jesus had an attire and a presentation that set him apart from the way of the Samaritan life. He dressed differently. And I want to point out that the scripture does say to us, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Oh, Morgan's joined our recording this morning. You okay in there? Okay. Jesus had a difference in him. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Many, many instructions to us throughout the epistles talk about how we present ourselves on the outside. And this is important because it, our, our difference 
of outward appearance is like a flag that it's a banner that says there's something different about you. I can tell you've got a conviction in your life. You live by a standard that is different than everybody else around me. And it's important. It's helpful. I have never, if, if you know me well, I live for soul winning and I have had the pleasure, honor, joy to usher many, many souls from not knowing about God to following after Christ with all of their heart and just being leaders and leaders themselves within the Christian community. And when I first met these souls, they didn't look anything like me. And there was no need to talk about or focus on the fact that I have a way of dressing differently than the rest of the people around me. My focus stayed on, and we're going to see Jesus doing this as well. My focus stayed on the message, but my, my flag that I wear in the way of my difference of attire told them that when I said something, whether they process this information or not, the spirit of it was that when I said to them, A, B, and C from the word of God, the fact that I every day dress by a certain conviction told them that I was convinced of what I was talking about. I was convinced in what I believed, and I believed it to the point that it wasn't just a private prayer. It was an outward function. And so don't think that coming out from among them and living separate in attire and in presentation puts hungry souls off. If they are hungry, they will eat the living bread from a hand that is loving and compassionate in serving up that living bread, no matter what the attire no matter how different from the rest of the world the attire is. And of course, let me get back to verse 9. She said, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. I want to point out that Jesus absolutely ignored her bitter tone that was laced with racism. This, This woman had lived a life of knowing how Jewish people inconvenienced themselves to avoid her and all of her entire region. And of course she would feel bitterness. Of course she would. She was the one living in that. Of course she would. Jesus ignored it and in verse 10 answered her and said, 
If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Jesus absolutely ignored her uh, her snootiness, because he's in her country now. She She's the one who has all the right to say whatever she wants. Verse 11, The woman saith unto him, Sir, Thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence, then, hast thou that living water? Jesus stayed on message, and he referred back to he that wins souls is wise. Jesus was a salesman here, and that really is what winning souls is like. You've got something to, we're not physically taking money, but the scripture says buy, B-U-I, buy the truth and sell it not. So we do have a truth that we need them to buy into. And Jesus stayed on message. He was there to give her living water. Let me point out some definitions of the word living. He was offering her living water and living means to live, breathe, be among the living, not lifeless. And so he was offering her this ability to function, to breathe and be alive. Even though her heart was beating and she was breathing, she was not living. Living water, this word living means to enjoy real life to be in full vigor, to be fresh, strong, efficient. Now, he said that he had living water. And I'm going to go ahead and give you a spoiler alert by jumping to John 7, because Jesus talks about living water again in John 7, 38 and 39. And he says to those people, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly or that word belly means the innermost, the center of you. Out of your, the center of your emotions will flow rivers of living water. He's talking about living water again. Now at the well, where we're at in John 4 is the first time he talks about living water. But in John 7, he mentions it again. And 39, John, who was writing, puts in parentheses and lets us know he was talking about the Holy Ghost which they that believe on him would receive. But the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. When Jesus said to her, I've got living water for you, he was referring all the way to Acts chapter 2, what was going to be poured out in Acts chapter 2 after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. He was referring all the way to Acts chapter 2 to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost when he said, I've got living water. Verse 12, Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? <laughs> she she might have asked him about a physical pot and acted like she didn't know that he was delving into spiritual things. But she got all religious on him, bringing up Jacob. Because the Samaritans had Jacob's well, and to them that was 
their ace in the hole. They had Jacob's well. And when you are wooing people to more of God, to the power of God, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, being baptized in Jesus' name, living an abundant life and enduring to the end, being able to endure by the power of the Holy Ghost, people always fall back on their religion. You know, I, I'm religious. I, I got Jesus. I got God. But here's another insight for us who want to win souls. Jesus ignored her reference to her religion. He just ignored it. In verse 13, Jesus answered and said, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. He refers back to the physical water in Jacob's well. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never thirst. Because the water that I will give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And so for those of us who are seeking to follow Christ and and trying to mimic his ways, when you are in an encounter and people want to bring up their religion as their defense, follow Jesus' example here. Just ignore it. Just tell them how wonderful God's spirit is. You're the salesman. Don't, don't argue points about the jalopy that they're driving when you've got a brand new, fabulous vehicle for them to pursue life in. <laughs> don't get into the bait, into the debate. Don't get into the debate. Jesus sells himself. God's spirit sells itself. Just keep going back to the fact that Jesus gives them life. Jesus gives them peace. Jesus offers them wisdom and direction. Jesus has hope and joy for them. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. (laughs) She is becoming aware. This is all right, now we're we're going back and forth between spiritual things and religion and you know, when a person's first coming to God, there's a lot going on in their head, you know. There's a lot of questions, they're feeling a lot of stuff. They're feeling a lot of uh, they're feeling the spirit of God first of all that you are speaking into their life. And for <laughs> for most of the people that you are sharing Jesus with, It is their first time to ever feel Jesus. (laughs) We get to feel God's presence all the time, especially here at Souls Harbor. Oh my goodness, my church, my church has the presence of God at such liberty. We give the spirit of God such liberty and the people such liberty to engage in the spirit of God. But when you're talking to someone who has only been religious, the first time they're feeling Jesus sends so many questions running through their head. (laughs) Oh, I've encountered it so many times and it is so special every single time. So we find this woman 
and all of this stuff that's going on. She's got all the feels and she says, sir, give me this water that I thirst not. But here's what she really is saying. Neither come hither to draw. (laughs) Neither come hither to draw. Don't forget she was at the well at the hottest part of the day. And she did not want to have to come back to that physical place because it meant pain to her. And so Jesus just started addressing that. And he says in verse 16, Go call thy husband and come hither. She had a problem going on in her life that is very normal for all humans and it's called escapism and this woman's method throughout her life of trying to fix herself was through men taking care of her she kept trying to find a man who would be her refuge who would be her support who would love her like she felt she deserved to be loved. And in verse 17, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. This is likely why she was coming to that well at the hottest part of the day. Because she was, she had gotten her life into such a state that she didn't, want to face anybody. She was no longer interested in chatting and sharing the gossip of the regular crowd that came in the mornings when it was a a good time to come do a heavy job. Drawing water from a well is a hard and a heavy job. And it was easier to do that job if you had friends there that you were chatting with and you're catching up on the gossip of the town. And But this woman was had likely become the gossip of the town. And so she just completely avoided that going to the well at that point. And the world, the things of this world do not satisfy. And when we talk to people who are addicted to various things, sometimes they are addicted to sex and to sensual things. Other times it's alcohol. Other times it's, it's pills. Sometimes it's retail therapy. And I I mean, people can be so addicted to these things because it's how they have fixed themselves. And she she said, give me this water because I don't want to have to come to this well anymore. And Jesus said, you've had five husbands. The, the, the word of knowledge was at work in him. And then Jesus said, and he whom thou now hast is not your husband. So when you are wooing people to Jesus, you will come to a point where you, because you have not gotten involved in, in what triggers them, And in this woman's case, it was ethnicity. Jesus didn't get involved in that. Jesus didn't debate with her about all those things. He just kept 
offering her goodness, offering her goodness, offering her goodness. And once you have properly fed a soul, compassion, love, goodness, you've given of yourself, then there will come a point when you can say, listen, friend, I tend to 99.9% of everyone I went to the Lord are, are ladies. So I, I often revert to the word baby <laughs> because I do very quickly start feeling like a mother. Like, listen, baby, this stuff that you've been dabbling in, that you've been trying to fix yourself in, it is not helping you. It is not helping you. And so you've got to wrap your pointing out of what is trapping them. You've got to wrap it in loving compassion and you've got to, you can't delve into that right away. That's nowhere near the beginning of your conversation. Now we see this whole conversation happening in one and that woman came ready for it. But I have been in the process of wooing people to Jesus and it has taken weeks and even months before we delve into what is holding them back from drinking of that living water. (laughs) Also, let me point out that he still had not himself had a, had anything to drink. (laughs) He came there tired, wearied, sitting on the well. He's been in this whole conversation and he still has not had anything to drink. And after Jesus says, yeah, you're right. You've had you know, you've been with multiple men. The woman said, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Aha, uh-huh. ding, ding, ding. That light bulb starts going off. And she says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And he, he hadn't said anything about where to worship. She's falling back. And when you are winning souls to the Lord, this will happen over and over. She's falling back on her pain of growing up rejected. And that kept coming out. But Jesus stayed on his soul winning course. I just need to win her soul. If I can win her soul, she's going to get over the pain. She's going to heal. She's going to get beyond this bitterness, but I've got to win her soul first. And Jesus's reply to her was woman, believe me, the hour comes. It's in the future when you're neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worshiping the father. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Jesus acknowledged there was, there was division, but Jesus had already started the process of erasing those lines. And Jesus said, the hour comes and now is when true worshipers shall worship the father in spirit and in truth. He was letting her know God is not going to be concerned about these, these barriers that we have put up where we cross over the river and go way up and cross. No, no, no. The hour is coming and now is where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It's not about where, it's about how. Verse 24, Jesus goes on to give her this amazing revelation. God is a spirit, capital S, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit, that divine, invisible presence with movement. 
and and they that worship him must worship him in spirit that word spirit is a lowercase spirit and it means by which the body is animated by the power by which the human being feels thinks and decides he's saying god true worshipers are going to start worshiping with their emotions how they feel how they think how they decide and in truth fact reality what is obvious what is logical and and worship is is a an action that is a, a, a kneeling or a prostration or even it even is described as kissing the hand towards one like blowing a kiss <laughs> true worshipers are going to become very physical in how they worship and they're going to do it with a full understanding of who God is. The woman said, said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. And when he has come, he will tell us all things. And, and maybe this was her last ditch effort to wave him off. Or, or maybe she was just fishing for more information. Because Jesus says to her, I that speak unto thee, am he he had not said it in this way until now I that speak unto thee am he you and I when we are wooing people to Jesus we will do all the talking, all the sales pitch that we got. Like, go, oh, come this way, come this way, come this way. But when God reveals himself, everything changes. And right about this time, verse 27, the disciples came back. <laughs> the NLT version says they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? They came back and at that same time the woman left her water pot that physical thing that had her bound to coming and living at the most difficult with the most difficult life she didn't want to come at the easy time of day her her uh, pain her bitterness her uh, outcome of life had caused even her daily tasks to be more of a chore than was necessary but she left her water pot went into the city and started saying to everybody come see a man who told me all things that I ever did is not this the Christ is not this the Christ (laughs) then they went out of the city and came unto him this one woman's encounter was the result of a city-wide revival we read about in Acts. We read about it in Acts 8, verse 5. Philip went to Samaria and preached Christ unto them. They had already heard about Christ by the time Philip got there in Acts 8. Acts 8, 14. They had, they received the word of God. Acts 9, 31. Um, Samaria was edified and it lumps Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. The churches 
throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. There's no need to cross the river, go up, and cross back over the river anymore. Not whenever you're part of the church. We get rid of all those ethnicity divides. We get rid of all of those culture barriers. The churches throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, one solid line occurred because one soul was worth the effort. One soul caused a city-wide revival. As we seek to be like Christ, study Christ's way at winning souls. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so if we study his methods, we too can seek and save the lost. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Go tell somebody about Jesus.